Well, if you have a Bible, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and this morning we will be looking at verses 6, excuse me, 16 through 21. John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21. If you're here in the auditorium this morning and you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles and and the seats in front of you underneath, or you can just follow along. If you're watching on live stream this morning, you're sitting at home and you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Um, I think you'll be able to easily enough follow along um, with the scripture verses, most of which will be on the screen for you. Well, in Verses 16 through 21, we read these words. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. We return this morning to our series in the Gospel of John. I have been preaching through this Gospel. We took a two-week break because two weeks ago, on the 11th, we had our Associate Pastor of Youth candidate, and his Dan Dubois and his wife Sarah with us all day long. They ministered to us uh, throughout the day. We had a chance to get to know them. And then last week on the 18th, we had Karen Leaf, the director of our Beacon of Hope, give her yearly update. And then Pastor Chad shared a devotion after that in all three services. And now we turn to the, uh, return to the Gospel of John. If you've been following along, you know we spent a lot of time in chapter 5, which I think is just a monumental chapter, that chapter in which Jesus declares his deity, that he is one with the Father, that he is fully God, that he is God of very God. And then three weeks ago, we moved into chapter 6, and we looked at the first section of chapter 6 this morning. We're in the second section, and they're actually going to be quite a few sections because if you're looking through your Bible or whether you're doing it on your phone or tablet, you will notice that chapter 6 is a very long chapter. And so we will take it one section at a time. And our first point this morning is the background. In John chapter 6, we will see that some believe in Jesus and some reject him. That's the big picture of John chapter 6. It is so easy to get caught up in the details, in the sections, and lose the bigger picture, the overall scope of it. And the overall scope is that some come to Jesus and embrace him, but some reject him. In this chapter, we will see true disciples and false disciples. The word disciple can be used in a number of different ways. It can be used to refer to the twelve, and that's how it will be used in another place in this particular text when the disciples get into a boat and go on the Sea of Galilee. But the word disciple can be used very generally to refer to anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Actually, the word disciple could be a follower of any teacher at this time in history, but biblically, specifically, 
it is a reference to those who say they follow Jesus. And we are going to find that even though many say they follow Jesus, some are going to prove to be true disciples and some are going to prove to be false disciples. At the beginning of this chapter, we find two great miracles. And you may ask yourself, why two miracles to begin this chapter? Well, there is actually a very specific reason for it. And that is, John, the writer, is reestablishing the full deity and miraculous power of Jesus. In chapter 5, we see his claims to deity as he confronts the Jewish religious leaders and interacts with them. In the beginning of chapter 6, we say, see not only his claim to be God, but he exhibits the powers of God himself, which reminds us that when we read and learn about miracles, we are not only to see what he does, but we are to understand who he is. Not just what he does, but we are to understand who he is. If you were with us three weeks ago, the first miracle is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus performs the most massive miracle of his entire earthly ministry. As I mentioned to you, it is the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels except for the miracle of the resurrection. It is Matthew in his Gospel who tells us that Jesus not only fed 5,000 men, but there were also women and children. Now, we don't know the exact family sizes that were there, but it is very possible that Jesus may have fed on that day between 15 and 20,000 people, and some speculate even more. So this is a massive miracle that he performs. He feeds 15 to 20,000 people or more with five barley loaves and two fish. It is the highest participation miracle that he will ever perform. It is a miracle that couldn't be debated because of the sheer number of eyewitnesses who saw what happened. So that's what we looked at three weeks ago. That is the first miracle. And then we come to the second miracle this morning. Right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' disciples get into a boat and begin to travel toward Capernaum. In verse 16, or verses 16 and 17, it says, When evening came. Now, if you're reading along in John chapter 6, you understand that it means when evening came on the day that he fed the 5,000, or the 15 to 20,000. That evening is what he is referring to. His disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat. It could be translated literally, they got into the boat, because it is the same boat they came in. So they get in the boat that they came in and now are traveling approximately five miles. Hold on to that as we go through the text. Approximately five miles from where they are to get to Capernaum. And now it was dark. So they get into the boat, they start across the sea, and it was now dark. So darkness has set in, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Now, in order to understand this miracle in John chapter 6, we really need to do what is called a harmony of the Gospels. This miracle is recorded in Mark chapter 6 and also in Matthew chapter 14. And Matthew and Mark supply us with some other details about the miracle that are helpful to us. According to Matthew and Mark, what Jesus does is he sends the disciples to their boat. 
he sends the crowd away that has just been fed, and Jesus goes up on a mountain and prays. This was his regular discipline. This was his regular routine. He goes up on a mountain and prays. So that's the scene that we have. He's praying. The crowd is left. The disciples go down to the boat, and darkness has set in. Now, in verse 18, we get an important detail that will set up the miracle that we are about to see. It says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Matthew and Mark tell us that it was a very strong wind. The waves were crashing on their boat. The wind and waves were battering their boat. So this was a very intense, perhaps even violent and frightening storm that the disciples find them in. This was not unheard of or even uncommon on the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is about 700 feet below sea level. So if you kind of picture it with me, it sets down into the ground. It is ringed on three sides by mountains that rise several thousand feet into the air. And so you have this The Sea of Galilee set into the ground with high mountains on three sides. The wind comes off the Mediterranean Sea. It collides with other winds that are coming down from the mountains. And at certain times, it creates what many have described as kind of a whirlpool. These storms come upon the Sea of Galilee. We read about them in a number of places in the Gospels. In fact, there is a miracle that takes place before this miracle that the disciples were involved with that isn't recorded by John. After a long day of ministry, Jesus is exhausted. And so he is in a boat on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples at at this particular time. And he has fallen asleep in the back. So the storm is raging and... Jesus is asleep at the back of the boat. And they come to him and they say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? And Jesus gets up, as you may know, and he commands the storm, and it becomes still. It becomes still like glass, literally, when you read, when you study that miracle. And the disciples say, Who is this? Who is this? that even the winds and the waves obey him? And that's a good question. And that's really the question we're looking at this morning. Who is this? Who is this Jesus? Now, back to the Gospel of John. Keep in mind that some of these men, some of the twelve, were experienced fishermen who fished this lake probably for most of their lives. So they were experienced fishermen, they were experienced boatmen, and the reason I tell you that is because even these men, as experienced as they were, found this to be a difficult, hard storm as you put all three gospel accounts together. Mark 6, Matthew 14, John 6, you see what an intense storm that they were rowing through and working through. In Matthew chapter 14 and verses 23 and 24, they give us this, Matthew gives us this big picture. And I'm going to have these verses on the screen just so you have the scene in your mind. It says, after he, Jesus, had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself 
pray. So that's where he's at. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. So we have this intense storm. So our second point this morning is the second miracle. As I mentioned, the first miracle was the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 15 to 20,000. And now we have the second miracle. After the disciples had struggled for hours to row toward Capernaum, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. In verse 19, it says, When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Interesting, when they had rowed three or four miles. Now, remember what I told you earlier. The distance between where they were and Capernaum was about five miles. Matthew and Mark give us a very important detail. They say that Jesus came walking on the water during the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So remember, they get into the boat right when it's turning dark, when evening came. And now it is at least 3 o'clock in the morning, if not later, and they've only gone three or four miles. I say that because it helps us to understand how intense this storm must have been. This, we see strong winds, crashing waves, and they are struggling with all of their might. And after all this time, from the time it's dark until three, between three and six in the morning, they've only gone three or four miles, and it's only five miles across. So they are finding themselves in this great, intense struggle. They are probably exhausted, not only from the long day, but from rowing against the wind. And it's at this time that they say Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. So they see this figure of a man. It's dark. There's this great storm. And they see this figure of a man coming toward them. In Mark and Matthew, we learn that they thought it was a ghost. They said, it's a ghost. And when he gets near, they are frightened. They are afraid. So again, exhausted, rowing against the storm. And here comes this figure of a man walking toward them. But then we get to verse 20, the key verse in this entire text. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So he comes, and they realize it's Jesus. And he says, It's me. Don't be afraid. A couple things I want you to think of here. First of all, many of you have heard this story since you were little. Many of you have heard about Jesus walking on the water. Even people who don't go to church know about Jesus walking on the water. And I don't want us to be so familiar with it that we lose the absolute awesomeness of what is happening here. Folks, God is walking on the water. 
the creator of heaven and earth, the one who sustains all things. He comes walking across the sea of Galilee and he comes to their boat. The second thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't come to them and say, I can't believe you guys are afraid. With all of your experience on the sea, you're afraid of a little old storm. You sissies, you shouldn't be afraid of something like this. No, he doesn't say that at all. Do you know why? Because it is a real storm. It is a dangerous storm. And I want us to relearn again this morning an important principle. The peace of God not the peace of God comes to us not by denying the reality of our circumstances, but the peace of God comes from knowing that Jesus is with us. Okay? The peace of God does not come from denying the reality we're living in. The peace of God comes from knowing that Jesus is with you. Your suffering may be very real. Your hardship may be very real. You know, sometimes I will hear someone say, whether personally or I'll see someone on television, and they'll say, I've been diagnosed with cancer. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to beat that cancer. I'm going to tell that cancer, you're not real and you're not going to have my life. But that's not what the Christian says. Christian says, my cancer is real. But I know that Jesus is right there with me. And he will give me wisdom. And he will give me guidance. And he will be there for me all the way through this. It is I. Do not be afraid. Don't miss verse 21. Don't miss verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. When they realized it was Jesus, they were overjoyed to have him come into the boat. So God, what a scene. God walks across the water and gets in the boat with them. I love it. Right in the middle of the storm. And immediately, the boat was at the land to which they were going. In the majority of commentaries that I read on this particular passage, they say that verse 21 is a miracle within a miracle. Jesus gets into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. It's almost like, they're there. Jesus gets into the boat and they're there. You see, when they got their eyes off the storm and they got their eyes off themselves and they fixed their eyes on Jesus, they found they were on the other side. And you know that's true with us too. When we get our eyes off our circumstances and we get our eyes off from ourselves and we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, he will bring us through. He will bring us to where he wants us to be. He will bring us to the other side. Great miracle. And there are three important lessons that this miracle teaches us. 
That's how I want to end this message this morning. Three important lessons that this miracle teaches us. These are lessons that some of us have learned before, but we need to relearn them again. Lesson number one is this. Jesus always watches over his children. He always watches over them. I want you to think of this scene with me. The disciples are down in the Sea of Galilee. This great storm comes upon them. And where is Jesus? He's up on the mountain praying. Do you know what he's praying for? He's praying for them. He's praying for them. Jesus is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows exactly where the disciples are. He knows exactly what they're going through. And he knows exactly when he's going to come to them. Because he's watching over them. He's watching over them. And you need to know this morning that wherever you are, whatever you are going through, Jesus always watches over you. And he always prays for you. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. A great high priest to whom we can come and find mercy and grace in our time of need. In John chapter 17, we see our great high priest praying for his disciples, praying for us. Jesus always watches over his children. Second important lesson. Jesus always comes to his children in their hour of need. Jesus always comes to his children right when we need them. Just when the disciples needed him, he reminded them, I'm right here with you. Oh, we need to remember this morning that Jesus never leaves us nor forsakes us. That nothing can ever separate us from the love of Christ. In theology, we call this God's imminence. God's imminence simply means he is always with his children. He is always with you. We talk of God's omnipresence, which means that God is everywhere present. But not only is God everywhere present, but God is always right with you. So no matter what you are going through, no matter what suffering, hardship, difficulty, no matter what dilemma you are struggling with in your life, he is always right there with you and in your hour of need you can look to him and turn to him knowing that he cares with infinite with infinite compassion the third important lesson Jesus always brings his children to where he wants them to be Jesus always brings his children to where he wants them to be. When we get our eyes off our circumstances and we get our eyes off from us and we get our eyes unto, fixed on him, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, he will take us where he wants us to be. He will bring us where he wants us to be. I'm sure everybody here this morning has had a circumstance like this. 
There was some big issue in your life. But there were so many hurdles to get where you wanted to be. Maybe you were without a job, searching for a job, and just didn't know how you were going to get there. Maybe you really wanted to get a home. You've been wanting to buy a home, but there were so many obstacles, so many hurdles in the way you wondered how you were ever going to get there. Maybe it was something completely different. And then one day, you're there. And you look back, and you realize that Jesus took care of every need one step at a time all along the way. He was faithful. He provided. He was good. I think of young missionaries. As young missionaries, before they go to the field and they they see where they want to be, it can be an overwhelming, daunting task for a young missionary as they look at what they have to do before they get to the field. Let me give you one specific example. I think of our own Preston and Stephanie Nichols. We sent them out this year. seems like a long time ago now. But in February of this year, we had a commissioning service for them to go to Asia Pacific. And then in March, they left for the field. But I can remember sitting down together with them a couple of years ago. They had finished all of their training with Ethnos 360. And they knew they wanted to be cross-cultural missionaries. They knew they wanted to be on the field, but there were so many hurdles, so many obstacles. What mission agency were they going to go with? What part of the world were they going to go to? How were they going to raise 100% of their support? Oh, I've seen so many young missionaries find this almost overwhelming. How am I going to raise 100% of my support? But you know what? Today, Stephanie and Preston are there. And they're in language training. They're on the other side. And Jesus faithfully brought them through every part of it, faithfully provided for them. And so he does with each of us. Jesus always brings his children to where he wants them to be. Whatever boat you are in this morning, whatever storm you may be going through, always remember these words. It is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you that in the very middle and intensity of our storms, you are right there with us. And you minister to us and you give us wisdom and guidance and you see us through. We are so thankful. Thank you that we do not go through our storms alone. And thank you this morning, Lord, from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you that the presence of God brings the peace of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name.